What's up, everybody? Welcome to a huge edition of the Dawson D Show. You're in for an absolute treat. Our guest today is a two-time men's single Grand Slam finalist, two-time Davis Cup winner. He has 11 career singles titles to his name, is a former world number eight and a legend of Australian tennis. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Mark Philippoussis. What a dream come true for us to sit down with Mark and not only chat all things tennis and his career, but get an insight on his passions away from the court, business and his everyday life. He takes us inside Grand Slam locker rooms, on the court, in a player's box, days off in the midst of tournaments, and even builds us a perfect player in a brand new segment. Plus, what's in the golf box is an absolute beauty this week with a jaw-dropping story you guys are absolutely going to love. Now remember to hit that subscribe button so you never miss a new episode of the show. And if you're a more visual kind of person, you can check out the whole episode now on YouTube. And if you're new here, after you're done listening to this episode, check out our various other interviews with current and former greats of sport in AFL, basketball, soccer, cricket, athletics, and many more. All right, we can't wait for you guys to hear this absolute rip of an episode. Here is a legend himself, the one, the only, Mark Philippoussis. I was just telling our very special guest off air, Doss, that if you went back to when I was 10 years old and you said I'd be sitting across from my favorite tennis player, I would have said, you're joking. So I'm so, so excited <laughs> for this. Mark Philippoussis, welcome to the Doss and D Show. Guys, thank you so much for having me. How, how's life, mate? We didn't realize you're, you're from Torquay now. Did, did yeah. you have a surf this morning? What was the morning like? surf, woke up, took the dog for a long walk, little um, exercise with the dog and get the kids ready for school, oh, yeah. school drop off and then made my way down here. Mate, we are. We're, we're so grateful. Talk to us a bit about that lifestyle out that way. When did you move out sort of coastway? We moved with the family three years ago. Okay. Just over, just over three years ago. And, and I had a place since I was 18, lived in the States. But when I came back, I had a place in Anglesey for maybe 15 years. So I've always loved this coast, especially I think being a Western suburbs boy. If you go to the coast, it's normally you stay this side of the bridge. <laughs> yes. And if you're on the other side, you're kind of Mornington, which is also beautiful. That's where um, we're from, actually. Yeah, yeah. So that's so naturally, it was just easier for me, and and so I've always loved that part of Victoria. And when we moved back with the family to Australia in 2019, our goal was definitely of uh, we're in Williamstown, but we always knew that we'd end up down that way because kids were born in San Diego, and we wanted to give them a similar lifestyle as possible. Um, and just being having the coast that we love, the family loves the ocean. Um, the beach and unfortunately you know we don't have the consistency of the weather of san diego <laughs> but there's some beautiful beach down that way and we love it it's, it's just great for the family great schooling you know it's building it's building out a lot talkies mm. changed so much over the years and it's building so much but it's a it's a beautiful lifestyle and i like the community over there do you love being back like obviously was it part of the original plan to yeah. bring the kids back it was always the plan because the great thing is even though i met my wife in the states she originally was born in romania but moved to melbourne when she was three years old oh. with a family and she's eastern suburbs so the great it was just simple once my son got to five we can start school back here i mean he started schooling in, in the states and and we knew we'd always come home because we wanted to be you know have, have the kids grow up with their family and we wanted mm. to be next to our family yeah. as it's um the priority for us is that uh, dual passports for the kids then? yeah that'll come lucky. in that'll come yeah, in that. very they're handy <laughs> they got the dual passports yes they got the um the the aussie us passports yes that's awesome well you've just played recently the australian open how how are you hitting them these days how would you rate yourself on the court you're obviously an incredible nick still but how was the australian open for you uh it was i love it because you i really have the opportunity to enjoy it now whereas mm. when you played there was just stress. You were getting ready for the Australian Open. You had that amazing support, but you also had all the pressure that came with it as well, on and off the court. And it's very difficult to enjoy anything. You know, you don't want to walk around at night. You you just eat room service or something close because you don't want to walk around too much and, and you want to stay relaxed. And like I said, just keep the legs fresh. And now you get I get an opportunity to walk around and, and, and see the incredible setup and it's grown so much and it's changed so much over the years and what they're offering now, not only to the players and their teams, but the spectators, the fans. I mean, it's, it's incredible what they've built over there. And, and so it's great because um, I'm still getting a chance to get on the court and play. I played three matches, three doubles matches, two doubles and a mixed. No 
pressure, just a pure enjoyment of playing the game and still having the excitement of being out and playing on those centre courts without all stress involved. And look, when the ball's there to hit, I can hit the ball. (laughs) Getting (laughs) to the ball is a whole other thing. But um, again, the great thing is we... Our matches are, you know, hit and giggle stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to be serious. I mean, shit, these guys are watching the best in the world be serious. So it's, <laughs> before we get out of the car, I'm like, guys, let's have fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, we have an opportunity to entertain the crowd, to make them laugh, you know, to incorporate them somehow if we can. But just, yeah, just enjoy it. So it was good. Did you find that actually now that you're older, did you wish you laughed and had a bit more fun back when you were younger? Because obviously when you're working, you're working. Yeah. I enjoyed myself. I, I had a great team. I always, I had the best years and the most, the best results when I had one of my closest friends child with me. And I knew that because he relaxed to me. He brought a piece of home with me, even though my dad was my coach, you know, having that close friend, he, without trying, would joke around and, and then relax me, you know, before matches or the night before, instead of thinking about the next day, you know. So when I went on the court, I was that type of guy that, I didn't want to get too emotional because, or angry because certain athletes might play better with aggression and I wasn't that person that got the best out of myself if I was angry, you know. So I knew I had to be relaxed and calm when I played on the court and that I got my best tennis out of myself when I was relaxed and calm. And of course there were times when you'd be pissed and something but he wouldn't I wouldn't just bitch and moan the whole time he would just I wouldn't say a word and then if it got to that point build I would you know disintegrate the racket put it away and then I was, I was calm again <laughs> you know and then, you know and then I was happy to move on so um but yeah I, I was definitely that person that that stayed calm on the court you know and I did enjoy myself you know there were definitely times when I showed some emotion but I tried to show positive emotion you know whenever I could and yeah do you, what's your relationship with tennis now as purely as a spectator? Do you enjoy watching it? And when you kind of look now, do you, if you compare the eras that you, you played in compared to nowadays, do you think you'd prefer to play nowadays or back then for, I don't know what reason, whether it's um, exposure, whether it's social media, the talent on the court, which era do you think you'd prefer to be in if you had the choice? Well, I believe i personally feel that we that i played in the best era mm-hmm. back when i played incredible ridiculous players incredible characters you know such individuals and the great thing is the courts were the courts hardcore was a hardcore played like a hardcore clay played like clay grass played like grass the indoors played all indoors whereas now they all play the same because okay. they've slowed down the court a lot because they wanted rallies you know, and, and that changed years ago. And, and in every, almost every surface is the same now. Mm-hmm. You know, even grass is a different kind of grass than when, when we played back then. It's a slower grass. You can have 20-shot rallies on grass now, 30-shot rallies, just like a hard court. When you couldn't do that before, mm. you know. But that should have been, that's how it should be. Like if you're training your butt off and you're working on that serve and you're working on that serve and volley, when it's time for grass and you only had two, three tournaments of the year on grass, let's leave it to grass. Yeah. So the person that's worked on his servant volley has an advantage because now it's grass court season. Now that person for the French Open and all the other tournaments before that on clay, they you know didn't play at their best because they're playing on clay. Now the other guys have worked on their ground strokes and the you know, the spins and grounding, grinding from the back and the movement on the clay and they're sliding into the ball. Now they've got an advantage. Great. You know, and that's, the, that's, in my opinion, how it should be. Whereas now, those guys, they're very comfortable on all surfaces because they all play the same. Yeah. And they're all consistent on all surfaces. Whereas back when I was playing, you had guys that were top 10 in the world from Spain who would not play Wimbledon because also one of the things back then too, you were ranked, Wimbledon ranked you. You weren't ranked on your world. Oh, really? World ranking. If Pete was injured and he moved to th- five, that can put him seated two in the tournament. You know, or there's really? other players. Oh, there's other players who was number two, like number three, or Musta when he was number two or three in the world. Musta they would put to eight or six or five. Yeah, okay. Even though it's two. So, and a lot of the guys knew that and they actually would not play Wimbledon, truth, because they knew that 
they'd lose first round and they mm. thought he's you know after the French Open here's my chance to physically have a rest and maybe get ready for the hardcore season where I got more of an opportunity because I got no opportunity on grass and a lot of the top players that were clay court specialists would actually not even turn up to wow yeah, which is crazy so and 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 coming back to why I believe uh, I'm happy when I, I played at the best time is also technology we didn't have to worry about we didn't have the technology you know so when we went on the court we played the cameras were there but when we got off the court we can relax and do what we wanted you know what i mean whereas now you can't get away it must be incredibly difficult to play now as an athlete forget about tennis as an athlete in general because there's two spectrums right to technology and the social media it can be incredibly positive it, it can be a beautiful thing or it can be just negative and 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 brutal you know and destructive it depends how it's used for an athlete it's a great opportunity to let people get to know you personally and and when you follow someone you get to know them even though if you haven't met them what are they what's the content they're putting out what are the words they're using you know instagram is a little different that's just pictures but are they posting photos of their family you know what kind of they get to know what kind of the person they are or are they just things going out all the time is that they're drinking photo you know just mm. but you do get to know them you know at a certain level because you're letting them inside your life in, inside to getting a piece of who you are and same thing on twitter what are they posting what are they saying are they political or, or, or what what are their passions or where's their mindset and and but then you can get abused and attacked too if someone doesn't like you for whatever reason they don't like it they just don't like mm. you and the, and the worst thing is you got these people that I call cowards because they don't have a picture when they're abusing you. It's plain, there's a name, you know, you don't know who they are, but they'll say something terrible. And, you know, as you go through life, you realize that the, unfortunately these people are hurting. You know, if you're, in a, if you're somebody who don't know somebody else and you're gonna go out of your way and write something terrible about someone, they, these people are obviously not in a good place in their lives. Because if you are in a good place, you're focused on you, you're focused on getting better, you're focused on doing better for yourself, for your family, right? But if you're hurting in your life, then unfortunately it's easy to hurt somebody else. Of course, yeah. Right? Um, because you also want to take some, you know, some of that, that focus off yourself because you're miserable. So mm -hmm. let's let me focus on someone else. So we never had to worry about any kind of abuse or you know, things like that. And when we did switch off, you could switch off and get away. Now you've got phones yeah. on cameras, man, anywhere. My God, you can't do anything. And even if you're being polite and saying hello to somebody, if you get that picture on a certain angle, it could look completely different <laughs> to what actually, you know what I'm trying yeah. to say? Yeah. Like yeah. a fan, uh, a female comes up to you just and it happens to kiss you on the cheek and you turn, you know, like nice to me and they say the nicest and whatever it is. Yeah. Someone takes a picture on a certain angle, looks like you're going for a kiss. Yeah. And what happens if that person has his partner or he or her partner at home? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's definitely brutal and very difficult now, a lot more difficult without a doubt, kind of step away from what you want to do. So we had a chance to play and, and do our thing on the court. But when we stepped away, we could actually get away. Whereas now it's incredibly difficult. So for a lot of reasons, quite a few reasons, I believe, played at the best era. That's spot on is so true and we've had other athletes on say the same thing when it comes to social media. But I'd love to, the, the earlier question or the earlier answer talking about, I didn't know that about the changing of the courts to now yeah. they're all the same. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. What I gathered from what you were saying, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm this is what I'm thinking, is someone like a Novak wouldn't be how big he is and how many Grand Slams he's won based on if all the courts were different. Like he couldn't play, not him specifically, but... Like we've seen so many long like runs. Rafa, Rafa right. Roger, Novak, even Andy Murray for a certain period of time. There was that top four for a good four, 10 years right, that right. didn't change. Is that why? Oh, look, those guys. Not taking anything away from them. No, but. I mean, look, Djokovic will still be winning shitload of grand slams because he's that good. Yeah. And, and you, okay, you've named four of the greatest of all time. And <clears throat> especially those three, Djokovic, um, uh, Nadal and Federer. And when you're talking about greatest of all time, it's a very personal thing. 
So you ask somebody, if they love Roger, it's going to be Roger. If they love Rafa, it's going to be Rafa. If they love Djokovic, it's going to be Djokovic. But now if we talk about numbers, it's a totally different story. You yeah, want to go on numbers, so yeah. right? Yeah. And you can't argue numbers. And Djokovic is pretty much leading most of them, without a doubt. He definitely has most of them. I believe by the time he's done, might be ahead in all of them. But he's done, he hasn't done some incredible things. He's been close. But the Grand Slam. Mm. Rod Leiva's done that twice. Yeah. Steffi, Steffi Graf has done the Golden Slam. She's won all four in that same year, including the Olympics gold medal. That's that insane. Year. Yeah. That's, you know, that's ridiculous. Now, there's certain things that he might not do. He, he still has. He's been close twice. Twice he's won three and lost in the final of the last one. You know what I mean? So that's, you know, that's a different thing. And then the difference with the greats is the mindset. Now, who else but the great, the best in the world, for instance, are winning 14, 15 Grand Slams and then still thinking, how can I improve? What can I do to get better? Tweaking the serve. Ruff has won 18 Grand Slams and he's tweaking his serve. He's changing his grip a little bit to get his serve a little bit flatter, to have a little bit more in the serve. He's working on... Djokovic would work on his volleys a lot more, bring a coach in just for the volleys and work on the volleys and do that. Federer ended up knowing that, you know, they're getting to me on the backhand side. What did he do? Not only did he work on the backhand side, but he had... He worked so closely with Wilson, his sponsor, to create a racket for him to be easier, hit a backhand easier. And not miss it as much as he used to. So they created a racket that was built around him to his, to make his backhand side easier, wow. but still not changing the feeling of what he had on all these other strokes. So the racket head got bigger, he changed the racket, then you know, made things the strings as well. So these guys were still looking at improving, even when they were the best winning all the grand slams. So when you're talking about those three, they still would have found ways back mm. then, you know, if they haven't been playing in that era. You know what I mean? Yeah. I must say it's disappointing because I bought, you know, would have bought a Wilson growing up, thought I had the same one as Roger. Yeah, Clearly I yeah. didn't. He had his own. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but then look at not, let's forget about those guys for a second and look at who played. You had Sampras, right? He won the Australian Open mm-hmm. a whole bunch of times. Wimbledon, you know how much he won Wimbledon and the US Open. He never won the French Open. You got close semi-finals because that's how good he was, but that's how different it was. Or you had you had Musta win a whole bunch of French Opens, and not nothing nothing at Wimbledon. Okay, nothing really at the hard courts. Okay, but he was just that clay court specialist and a whole bunch of Monte Carlos and Italian Opens and all that. You know, then you had um, Ivanisevic that you know was dangerous on all surfaces, but grass. You know he two, three finals, and he finally won that Wimbledon, you know, and did okay. You know, he was tough in the Australian Open and that, but not really the, the clay, you know. Mm. So he had certain guys that were known for for, for those surfaces mm. and because their games naturally were just more dangerous on those surfaces because that's how they trained, that's how they grew up, and that's what you can see, that's what their dream was to win that, that tournament, right? So they based their game around that tournament. I mean, there are other guys who had great all-round games who were dangerous on all surfaces but didn't end up winning any of those Grand Slams. You know what I mean? So it's it's interesting. Yeah. This episode of the Dawson D Show is brought to you by Fleet Plant High Solutions. Oh, yes. We couldn't do the show without them and they are the absolute best in the business, both on the field and off. Imagine the biggest projects. Mm -hmm. I'm talking roads. Hit me. Railways. Hit me. Bridges. Yes. Everything everything that needs to be built, FBH, they do it all. And the best part about them is their customer service. Chris and the team will look after you. Their care is just second to none. So visit fbh.com.au right now to get involved. Let's get back into the episode with Mark Philippoussis. Oh, yes. I'm interested to know now, do you have, because right now in Australia, it seems to be like we're getting a really good wave of, of players, both on in the men's and the women's coming through the ranks. Do any of them reach out to you that are currently on tour for advice or for, well, for anything? Um, Do you have a relationship with any of them? No, the but I have a relationship with them, you know, and, and, and my door's always, always there, you know, especially now that, you know, I'm not coaching anyone and, and, and doing the commentating because when you're sitting in the commentating booth, we get all the information at our fingertips as far as percentages of, of where they're hitting the ball, where they're going on their big shots. 
how high are they hitting the ball over the net? What's their spin ratio? How flat are they hitting the ball? You know, so there's certain things and, and might be one or two that come up and, and or I'd say, look, man, bad luck. Or there was a coach that reached out to one of the Aussie players and going, look, kind of, do you mind if I know you commentated for his match? I'd love to get your thoughts. And I sent him a five minute WhatsApp, you know, wow. voice message on what I believe, what I saw, <clears throat> what I believe he needs to do to get to that next level. The things he did right and the things he should have done and the big points, you know, so... If someone reaches out to me, which they have, I, I love to be able to help people. You know, it, it makes me feel good, you know, especially when I do believe that I have something to offer and I could help. You know, I definitely do give them my time. You mentioned coaching. What's it like being in a box? Like we, we see on TV the coaches and, and the support team in the box and you've obviously been a part of many different teams. You know, when you were watching on TV and you guys are sitting in the box... Do you guys talk? Is it very quiet, obviously, to an extent? But what actually, because you're obviously going with a plan, but it's up to them now to do it. Well, I've only coached one player, and that's Tsitsipas. I did, when I wasn't working with Tsitsipas, I did do three tournaments on the grass to with Maria Sakari, who reached out to me and said, um, you know, uh, do you mind helping me out in the grass court season? And I happened to be at Wimbledon doing exhibition, so I ended, I ended up helping her. But I can only really comment properly because I was – you know, a year and a half, almost, uh, you know, definitely a solid year and a half, almost two years with Tsitsipas and his team. And it's stressful. Mm. It's stressful. It's definitely easier playing because you're in control. Being in the box, even though now you're allowed to coach. Yeah. Okay, so you're allowed to coach in, in, in um, you know, definitely put more information out there. But your role as a coach and helping is, is doing the best you can and doing all the work off the court and the practice courts. That's, that's what you do and putting in a position so when they do step out in the court, done your role, there's nothing else to do. Yes, you can maybe say one or two things when you're now you're in a box and watch his wide serve on the big, you know, he's going, he's going out to your forehand on the big serve. Just on this one, just lean one step further on the right. You know, give him that down the tee a little bit more or, or watch his forehand down the line or he likes to pass you cross court on the back end, he goes back end. So there's certain things that... Because as a player, you're so got tunnel vision and you got the blinkers on that you sometimes you do you're so focused on yourself that it's easier to miss things that are clear that your opponent's doing, you know. At times, yeah. so that's that's what you should be putting across. You don't want to say too much because you don't want to. You know, there's so many things that end of the day, you have to focus on you. That player has to focus on themselves. And if you're telling him 20 things of what the opponent's going to do, they're going to forget about what they should do. So I believe. The best thing is, okay, my focus with my player when I was with him was focus on those two things, one or two things on your serve, on your service games, one or two things on your return to serve games, and on big points. Focus on one or two things we're doing on the big points. And then I would say, okay, on, on that, your opponent, on his service games or his serve, he likes to do that on his serve. In his points, he's going to push you here and, and put some pressure on your backhand and, and watch, don't open up that backhand too much. Or if you look to run around your forehand, to run around that backhand and hit that forehand, you're going to leave that down line backhand open, which is your forehand too much. You know, they can put some pressure yep. on you. So certain, I like to keep it as simple as possible. But I was in a that team where the father was was the prime, he was the main coach. And, and he was an intense person, but I think also too, being a father for an athlete is very intense. It's very difficult. My son, he's just turned 10 and he plays basketball. Man, it, I get stressed watching him play basketball <laughs> and he plays under, under 12. <laughs> so watching your child play at the best level in 1% on the sport is, must be incredibly stressful, yeah. right? So he brought on a lot of energy to the box. So my job was, I believed... I had to bring in an energy that would calm him down, that would level off that energy that we needed in the box to help the player. You know, so he brought in a lot of energy. He said a lot of things. I didn't want. I didn't want to add any time. Didn't want to say anything. I don't want to all of a sudden add something because he's not saying anything. So I did add certain things, but I had to be very conscious of when I was adding it because I had, didn't want to give. You know, the kids getting so much energy, um, and and and. and words put at him so I it was very important for me to 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 calm the sea you know to just to be a calming energy and just end up becoming kind of that perfect balance yeah the balance yeah it's, it's important to have that balance you know mm. you mentioned a couple of times um, in the prior question about downtime basically between tournaments or between games and 
I'm sure we'll chat at some stage about Wimbledon and the US Open and I know how passionate you are about Davis Cup. But in those tournaments like a Wimbledon, for example, where let's talk about the run you went on where you made the final. What, what does a day's off look like? Like in terms of when you're going deep into a tournament, how do you have downtime, calm yourself down? I'm really interested because that's a part we don't see as spectators. Uh, well, look, once you get into that second week, you already played three matches. One of them a best of five at that time. No, there was like a two four-setters and a three-setter getting into the round of 16 before I played Agassi. So, you know, grass is – is I'm serving volume first and second serve. That's that's what my game is. So I'm, I'm a big guy. I'm 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, so when you're serving volume, being a big guy, long legs, you need to get down for the volleys. You're getting down, you're getting pushed out, you're going back for smashes and you're bending. So grass puts a lot of pressure on your glutes and your lower back yeah. glutes, right? Um, because you're in that getting down and up in that position. So – my, my days off was, was getting a massage and, and, of course, getting on the court for 20 minutes, but get, having an ice bath. So that was, that was a huge for me, just whatever it took to recover the body. Now, I didn't need to spend a lot of time on the practice court because my, I was hitting the ball well. You know, I just had to keep the movement, you know, get out and hit some ground strokes, hit some serves, hit some volleys, just keep, that, keep the momentum going on, and on, on the game. But the biggest thing was recovering for the body and coming back fresh for the next match, you know, and then especially that second week when I all of a sudden I played Agassi and I, and I think it was 6-3 in the fifth I beat him. That was, that was a longer match. But then the next match, quarterfinals, was down two sets to love and I won in five sets. Yeah. I think it was 8-6 in the fifth. So, and then it recovery again. And then one of my semifinals was a straight set win. So, but it's just about recovery for the body. You know, you're eating the same kind of things because it's also, as an athlete, we are definitely superstitious. Uh, I didn't like changing too many things. And again, I had a close friend with me. I would, would rent a house always for Wimbledon, so I had a house for, for the month of Wimbledon. Walking distance was literally across the road from, from Wimbledon and we'd walk there in, in three minutes. And it was about being relaxed. So it was watching a movie or I think at the time, one of the first things I used to do was especially at Wimbledon, was buy an Xbox, you know, and just yeah. keep it so I can just relax and, you know, back then just do something, whatever it was to relax me, not to not think of tennis because there's so much going on during that time, not only for the matches and, and the press and your sponsors and with agents that I really wanted to, it was very important for me to switch off. So it was just finding what it was that not got me thinking about tennis. So you're not watching potential opponents? Definitely not watching. Okay. Definitely okay. not watching. I was that type of guy. Maybe I'd watch, you know, if that match, there was a match that had to, you know, I was playing the winner of. Yeah. Maybe a little bit, but I didn't want to think too much. I knew everyone knows how each other, play, you know, how everyone plays. And also, more importantly, I had a very aggressive big game. And, and to be truthful, most of the time, if not all the time, the match came down to my racket. You know, I dictated the play with whoever I played with in the world. It was very important for me to, to play the game on my terms, you know, and, and I had the weapons to do that, um, whereas, and, and it started off with my serve. You know, I can come to the net or I can hit big from the back. So I had the luxury of dictating the play. So it was very important for me not to overthink what my opponent did because I, um, I learned from a young age when I was a rookie that I overthought, my, I was thinking so much about my opponent and ended up having the worst matches because I forgot about what I had to do. So I knew that I just had to focus on my game and what I had to do. And, and of course, you would react and your opponent had his plan as well. But that was the biggest thing was focus, focusing on what I had to do. Is it true that I think – was Todd Viney your one, – like one fitness of your co fitness yeah, coach yeah, for a while? strengthening coach. Yeah, so did you know that? No. Yeah, so Todd Viney, like well-known AFL footballer, played for Melbourne, champion footballer, all-round good guy now at North Melbourne, head of footy. But – so how did that come about? Because that seems like – so are you an AFL lover yourself? I, love, I didn't play at all. I really enjoy watching. I love, you know, watching game and have respect because these guys are such incredible athletes of what they do. But he actually had a tennis background. I don't know if you knew I that. I think I did know He that. actually did yeah. some coaching on the side too, coached some juniors, like little kids. Yeah, yeah. And he can hit a ball. Like he traveled with me for a little bit and would, would warm me up for some, time, for some matches sometimes. Wow. Okay. Um, and I want to say, that I'm trying to look, it's sad that I forgot exactly how the introduction happened, 
but it was definitely back at home and I was looking to do some fitness and he had he was coming towards the end of his career when he was playing for Melbourne. Mm. And I ended up doing some work with and he started off doing some preseason work, which and I just loved he I really enjoyed him as a person and his energy. It just I felt very comfortable around him. Not only and and more importantly, he knew his thing, like he knew yeah. his fitness and also I love the fact that he had that tennis background. So it was very important. All the work we did associated to on the court. Did and it take you through, like, was it tennis specific training? I'm just trying to think, like, footy preseasons are tough. Yeah, like, he pushed me. It was very yeah. physical, but he made it specific for tennis. Yeah. Like, it couldn't be specific yeah. for, for, no, of course. for football, yeah. right? So he was specific for tennis, but he brought that mentality of football in, which was tough mentality. You know what yeah. I mean? And like I said, he traveled with me and we were very, like, we won events together. Like, we were very um, successful. So, he's a hell of a guy. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. It's funny. When you said Todd Whitey, I thought you made a mistake. I thought Jack. you meant Todd Woodbridge. No, I, I was about to jump in. Um, can you debunk a tennis myth for us? This is something that I can't get my head around. Does everybody share the same locker room? Yes. Now, well, yes. <laughs> how does that, how does that? Yes. I feel like now, I mean, look, things have grown. Locker rooms have grown. They've, you know, the tournaments have built out, but... Now on Ground Slams, you almost have like two locker rooms as well. You have the locker room for the the, the seated, you know, the main players, oh, really? and then there's another locker room as well. But Australian Open has one locker room, and then there's another locker room for coaches. So that way, there's room. You know, you can you can coach coaches and and um, the legends <coughs> players. We have our own space. You don't you know have to worry about kind of because it gets so full. Like um, yeah. you know, everyone has an entourage now, so true. and there's so many people. You know, so it's very important. You know, they want to give these players space. Wimbledon has two locker rooms. He has a seated locker room and an unseated locker room. Okay. It's the only one that does that. French Open and, and US Open is, yeah. is just one locker room. So how does it work then if you're literally – I'm thinking of night matches, right? And we've, we've seen these long epic uh, – let's talk Australian Open over the years. But where, where games go on longer than you'd expect and you're waiting and you warm up and then oh, there's a break and then he or she wins the set and now we've got to wait another hour before we play. Are you literally like – Stopping and starting warming up. Yeah, but also, are you with? Are you looking across at your opponent, or are you no. constantly make making? No, <laughs> no okay. you are, look, you're aware that that person's there, and you, you've normally got your own space at that time. You know, you've got your own space. They've got their yeah. own space. Even sometimes you might be playing the opponent, and and their locker happens to be too oh. too down. So I find that that's will, so strange. But that person, like, if if I happen to be already there, that person will grab your stuff and go gotcha. around the corner. Oh, you know so, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But <clears throat> that happens, man. That happens. You. So you're Especially, not sitting there chatting, commenting about the game in no, front of you. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Um, you're starting to slowly get in that zone. Yeah. You know? and, and especially like for Wimbledon when there's – with the rain delays, now they've got roofs on yeah. the court. But, but there could be times when you're warming on and off for a day and a half because yeah. you were, you know, and you won't yeah. go on for a day and a half and you're waiting. And that's the worst. They'll get a set up and, and, and it'll be – you know, two sets to love and like you start to warm up. All of a sudden, the guy loses the third set and then he's down a break and then you stop to warm up like, oh, he's down the break. And then he gets the break back and like you start warming up again then he loses the set and then you get back <laughs> yeah, all, and yeah. then it starts raining. I mean, that happens all the time. You just, yeah. that's something you just learn to, to get used control. to. But it happens all the time, especially in Grand Slams because it's, if you're before a woman's match, you could be over quickly, but it's best of three yep. the most. And... Women's is it's normally one way or the other. It's like it could be done in fifty minutes, or it's three hours a lot of the <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. with a man's, it's best of five. You can kind of get an idea of depending on who's playing and, and who's playing on the women's side. You got an idea. You know, are they ground strokers? Are they just going to stay back and grind and hit twenty shot, thirty shot rallies every single point? Then you know you got a little more time. Yeah. So it depends That's on hard. who's who's on the court before you as well. But then you got to be prepared. If someone could get injured. Yeah. You know, um, and and pull out. You know. Yeah. So, true. Dave, should we jump into the first one? First segment, yeah. Do you want to maybe, I'll get this up and do you want to explain what we're doing? Because we're doing something a little bit different for this We segment. thought we'll tailor this towards Mark. So being the tennis grader years, we want to build your ideal tennis player. Mm -hmm. So basically we wrote down a list of say attributes and I guess accessories that, that, that players might have. So whether that be hair or rackets or certain things that a part of who they are as a character. But you mentioned we start off with, oh, well, first we'll go the ad read. So why don't you read who our partner is? Yeah, so this segment is brought to you by our good friends at the Virtual Expo. If you want eyes on your business, this is the place to be and all you need is an internet connection. Visit www.theexpo.com.au to get involved today and we'll explain what that means shortly. 
So essentially, Mark, we got, I'll count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We got 10. Okay. 10 different, which I went through before with you. We don't want you to think too much on this one. It's more of a, off the top of your head, who in, so we'll start off with court surface. So let's go. What would I guess your, it doesn't really matter now. Every, every, well, there you let's go. Let's just go to complete play. Everything plays the same. Okay. Right? okay. Let's keep it simple. Okay. So we'll start from the start. So. The ideal, and this can be male, female, all in one. So let's go. Any, f- anybody any, ever. Any, any error? Any, well, let's, uh, let's keep it a current and Mark's error. Okay. So we yep. won't go all the okay. way to Rod Labert yet. So let's go forehand. Oof. That's a tough one. Forehand. There's a lot of guys who had some, um, there's some big forehands out there, right? There's big, then there's good shape. Look, one of the, it's a tough one, <laughs> but I want to I want to mix this around, right? Of yeah, I, I, I want to put a caveat I'm on it. Say, say a few names the, if you want. I'm going to say, just big heaviness. Del Potro was one of the. Del, oh yeah, yeah. Del Potro. Del Potro is one of the biggest because I could also have said Ruffer as well because Ruffer, the RPMs, the way it kicks off the court is just so heavy, you know. So different stories. So. Pace-wise and, and that certain thing, Del Potro. Del Potro. And what we'll put a caveat, you can't say the same player twice. Yeah, two no categories. problem. All right. okay, you go. Backhand. Sure. Man, Djokovic. Yeah. Really? I thought uh, you might on Federer. No, no, no. Okay. No way. Um, if you're <laughs> <laughs> Shows no, how much I know. <laughs> I might, um, top spin? For a top spin, Djokovic. Okay. Yeah, okay. But just, just it's so freaking solid, man, Djokovic. Now, this next one, I will we'll allow you to throw yourself in there. Uh, serve. Uh, I'm gonna, I have to throw myself in there. Of course, you have to put yourself, yourself in there. Yes. You have to. So you serve it, but then who's coming up for the volley? Volleys? I'm going to say rafter volleys. Okay. Rafter. Yep. And then choice of racket. Oh, that's just a very personal thing. I played what, 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 my whole, what I played play my whole career with a with a head uh, that's my head prestige yeah. racket. Yeah. But I, for three years, I did sign with Dunlop, but they literally copied that head, head racket. But yeah, head, head prestige was yeah, head, I loved. Yeah, yeah, head make a good racket. Yeah, I like this one. Hair or headpiece? <laughs> so, so, so is, is, there, is there a certain hairstyle or a headpiece, like a headband that someone might? So who, like, could it be like a Kyrgios style, or could it be a Tsitsipas? Do you want the long locks, like? Oh, well, I mean, I shit, man. I had both. I shaved my head. I had long hair with a bandana. What was it? Was it hard playing with long hair at times? No, I had the bandana. Yeah, true. It, it, it didn't matter. I liked I liked the longer hair with the you know the bandana. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. And then next one is like confidence, or we like to say swagger. So who's swagger? I'm sure you probably saw a few in the locker room your time. Who had real confidence? I think a lot of players had confidence. But swagger is something could also be, you know, like arrogance? arrogance as yeah. well. So I'm not going to, you know what, swagger, I guess when someone kind of did a little bit of this because they walked a little differently, Boris Becker. Do you remember how yeah. he kind of used to walk a little, had that thing? Yeah. I Thanks love it. Boris Becker. Becker. All right. What about temperament? So temperament? Who's on mindset, would you like? Uh, can I say the same person twice? No. Okay. Temperament. God, there's some, you know. Temperament. Someone who doesn't lose their cool. Yeah. yeah. I or mean, just look, you've got to rock hard. About being pretty cool. Temperament. I mean, Stefan Edberg was an absolute gentleman yeah. on the court. I mean, he, he, I didn't, you don't see him too often lose it. I'd say Stefan Edberg. All right. And the, and the last one I've got is like this one. Rig. So like someone. Physique. Physique. Like real power. Uh, look, if you're talking about a great physique for tennis or you're talking about going to the beach no 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 we're talking about i was going to the beach i'll be on the beach yeah Um, give us both yeah give us both look uh i don't know if i was staring too much about the rig on the beach you know boys (laughs) it might be a different sex for that um on the yeah we don't want to get you in trouble on the court (laughs) look these days man guys the average height is almost six four six five and they move like they're five ten you know what i mean Mm. You, if you're looking at um, God, tell you had a, I was shocked. What was his name? The 18 year old that played Novak in the first round this year. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. The, the he um, was the, the Croatian. Yeah. Kid he was it? fit. Yeah. Like, oh, a strong kid. Yeah. But then you know, there's another. What's that guy's rig? Who he was <laughs> ripping it off last year, taking it off his shirt, and, and people were losing it. He had a crazy. His whole body was defined, but then see he didn't move as freely. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, you know what I mean, sense. like a little little stiff. Yeah. But I mean the way, look again, his body. But looking at a, a Djokovic, yeah. the way he moves and everything, yeah, that's yeah. an ideal. 
but look at the way Sinner moves. And then, I mean, yeah, look, Tsitsipas, I mean, he's an incredible athlete. I mm. mean, there's quite a few that I could say yeah. that are just amazing athletes. They're 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", and they move like they're freaking 5'10", 5'9", you know? <laughs> they move like you. <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> I wish. Well, thank you for that, Mark. As, as taking part, we've got a special gift from our sponsors. So you've got a, if you'd like to take it up, we'll pass it on. But maybe as we create, we, we'll talk about them shortly or, or that. But um, the Virtual Expo has very generously gifted you a booth at the Virtual Expo. So this is a global two-day event online for all businesses, all types of businesses to exhibit to thousands of people on one day. You can set up a booth and basically just have people come through all day. You don't have to be sitting there. You just set it up once. And it's online, isn't it? Online. It's amazing. What a great idea. Yeah. I haven't heard of this. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very, very niche, um, niche and, and quite new. Um, so just like you would at the Melbourne Showgrounds, go amazing. to an exhibition. It's all virtual and it's exact same field. So 16 touch points, which means you click around the booth. There's banners, tablecloths and any information you'd like to give on your business and people can actually request, hey, I'm at your booth. Do you want to have a live meeting? I want to talk to you about this, this and this and if cool. you accept, straight into a uh, Zoom meeting. That's, so it's a great segue, actually, to as we create. Fantastic concept. When is, has this been around for long? Yeah. No, only a couple of years. Yeah. But this so is coming up is late, ma- late March, so 28th and 20, yeah. 27th and 28th of March, I should say. So What's two-day event, the Virtual Expo, the Disruptor. Virtual Expo. Expo. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that so you've got a free booth. So if you well, send uh, all the details. send me the details, yeah. that, please. Well, that it's, uh, it's on them for, uh, for taking part in this. But um, yeah. Thank so you, boys. You and your wife or girls. just started as we create. Was it It's last year? It's only no, typically new. Two years ago. So backstory. When I was living in San Diego, I created a t-shirt line, t-shirt brand. And it slowly went from there to fleece, but mostly tees. And I was in all the cool stores in LA, the Fred Seagull Man and all that kind of stuff. I was in, I don't know if you know this store called Barney's New York. Barney's New York is like, it was like the high, it's, it, you couldn't get as far as a department store. It was just the best brands and it was amazing. Seen it in movies. Unfortunately, yeah. it, 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 it went bankrupt, but they had stores in Beverly Hills, they had six, seven stores, and I was in six, six stores of wow. those. And also, Isetan Department Store in Japan is an amazing department store in Japan, and and it just started growing, you know. And and I was very, I'm very passionate. I have a very creative side to me. I've always drawn as a kid, and I love drawing and things like that. So I have a creative side, and and I love clothes, and I just used that, and I ended up becoming a great source of using my creativity, you know, mm. itching that part. And I just loved clothes and I just wanted to create something that was comfortable and, and that I felt like was missing as far as what I was looking for when I was looking to buy clothes. So fabric was the most important thing for me and it was made in LA. And so I started getting to all these cool stores. Um, and then when my son was born, I kind of stopped, you know, driving to LA sometimes the traffic would take, it should be like a 50 minutes, it'd take freaking three hours, one way, three hours, the other and I was... What? And my son was born, just, you know, the gridlock sometimes with that, you know, after work. And my son was born. Mm-hmm. I just, obviously my priority completely, everything was completely changed. And I just didn't want to waste, my time was so precious to, to spend that time with him. I didn't want to waste it on being in the car, stuck in traffic. So that kind of, I stopped that brand. And then Justin Bieber was caught wearing one of my tees. And I guess there's somebody wow. that follows him that would put, what is he wearing, you know, like on Instagram and then people just started reaching out and it kind of went nuts. And I was like, I, I just don't, I don't make it anymore. Sorry, guys, which was kind of weird. And oh, so I there was so much, there was so many people wanting the product. Well, there were, you know, you imagine yeah. him wearing yeah. one of your products <laughs> and then people sh- riding yeah. and yeah. Yeah. Better pictures person, of yeah. him wearing. And then, because wow. I had a, he got caught wearing one of my tees. He was my, my V-neck tee. But if you go online, I, I created, because the t-shirts I created, I, I created the patterns for all my pieces and the, my tees are self-binding tees, which means it's not a typical crew like you guys have. Like it's a, like a rib. Yeah. Like it, the, it's actually the same fabric, but it's just folded over with a very fine, just a very simple, clean stitch. So I, it, the neck is a touch more open, not as restricting, and more of a European vibe as far as a tee, but not open where it's like a full-on Mykonos t-shirt. You're on the beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, down at Paradise Beach over there, you know. Um, For the chest hair. Yeah, yeah. But, but it was just touch more comfortable. And I created a, a, a V-neck where it was the same design, but 
it doesn't have a stitch on the bottom. Normally V-necks have a stitch and it doesn't have a stitch. So factories, it would be a pain in the ass to make because, you know, because it doesn't have that stitch. Not so simple. And I wanted it to be in a certain length and, and not look like a U. It still had to be a V-shape, but I didn't want that stitching there. So it was very not that easiest to make. And he wore that, he had that T and I had a pocket on it, you know, and it's very obvious it was my T, it was a pocket V. And I guess, you know, I got it one of those stores in LA, one of these people. And anyway, so it went nuts and I just, yeah, just didn't do it anymore. And I just knew once I moved back to Australia and we got settled in, I always wanted to create a brand again, like a clothing line. But I made so many mistakes the first time, as you do mm. when you don't know anything and then taken advantage of by a lot of things. And I'm like, I know I want to create something again. And, and when I was looking into it, I thought, okay, I want it to be made. I want everything made in, in, in Australia and, and preferably Melbourne only because I lived in Melbourne. So I wanted to drive to the factory to, yeah. to quality control to check and everything like that. So I created a brand. It's called As We Create. And I actually registered the name for something else, another business that I didn't end up doing with my best friend. And I just loved the name. And I had it, um, uh, you know, I had it registered and yeah. I had it protected. Okay, and I'm like, yeah. I'm just going to use this, you know. Yeah. So you've had the name for a while. I've had the name yeah, for a okay. while and, and it was for something else. And I'm like, God, as we create, I kind of like the name. The other name I had was for my other T-shirt line was Flip, which was my nickname. Mm. So I created T-shirts and, and I'm like, fabric is the most important thing. And I, the fabric is, obviously the yarn is not made here because no yarns are made in Australia. Everything's made overseas. But it's custom knit for me here. And it's, it's, it's or using organic, it's got certified organic cotton. And I get it pre-washed, pre-shrunk, and I get softened. So all the pieces were ethically made here, you know, are ethically made in, in Melbourne with fabric that's um, knit here mm. in as well, ethically, you know, made as well. And the T-shirts are just everyday lu luxury basics. There's no logo on them. T-shirts are incredibly comfortable. So they're pre-washed, pre-shrunk, and they're soft. So every time you get them out of the dryer, they feel even softer. The fleece. Um, I like the sound I, of that. I, yeah, it's, I it's swear. Like when like, I'm wearing the fleece, they're super yeah. comfortable. They're softened, you know, pre-washed, pre-shrunk, you know, because I've bought t I've bought a sweatshirt from going for Burren Bay, for instance, and there's beautiful stores in there and it's a well-known brand. I would buy it and spend 120 bucks on this sweatshirt. I'd wear it two, three times and it would shrink. Yeah. Mm. It'd be a medium. And I'm like, you're spending $120 on something. It should not shrink. It should not warp. You know what I mean? Yeah. It should just last for freaking years. So I would just, it frustrated me, you know, and <laughs> I just wanted to, and so I, I, the stuff, look, it's it's not classic styling and classic pieces that was, it's not fast fashion. It just can last for years. The samples I made five years ago still fit me and I still wear them because they just last, you know, and, and but more importantly is, Number one, I don't want to sell anything for like a hoodie for $200 for a fleece of $200. Who can afford to be spending $100 on a tee? $200. Now, you're, you're a well-known brand, you're a luxury brand, different story. They know, you know, they've, you know, you're spending money on that. But who's going to spend money on, even though that's kind of what they should be priced at because it's very expensive to be made in Australia and using yeah. God certified organic cotton. You know, my, the, it's probably seven, $8 a meter, the fabric. Yeah. And then it's organically and ethically made here. It's incredibly expensive. But I'm like, okay, I'm going to go straight to consumer. You know, I don't want anything over $100. That's my goal. I don't want to put anything over 100 So my T-shirts are $70. Yep. You know, but they're almost over $25 to make the tees here ethically, you know. Mm. So it's not, not, not yeah. cheap. You know, the fleeces and the hoodies are over $50, but they're, you know, my, my hoodies are at $98. You know, the, the jogger pants are at 98, even though it cost me over 50 to do, you know. That is very So you're, you're, you're trying to make quality accessible. I'm making literally the best quality you can with the best fabric you can. Yeah. But, but I want it to be, I don't want to say affordable because people think just because it's affordable, the quality is not there. At just at the best, at, at, at the pricing that they can't get. You know, yeah. because I'm direct to consumer, I can do that. Mm. I'm not in a store. Normally you make a t-shirt for $25. You have a store, normally you buy for me for 50 and then you sell it for a hundred. Mm. I double my money, you double your money. But I don't want to be, you know, I just want to be straight to consumer. So it's just your luxury basics that's ethically made here. It just feel good and, and, and that's, that's what it is. Although 
I'm wearing now the movements here. I have created the first apparel, uh, first active line. The future of this brand for me is active lifestyle brand. It's going to move more to the active lifestyle. So that's going to change. But again, nothing is going to be over $100. You know, and, and my wife right now is designing the women's line because technically all the stuff were men's. Yeah, even okay. though 60% of the people buying my stuff are women. Yeah, okay. Women love to wear a man's tee they or do, a man's they? hoodie. And that's why I ended up <laughs> they really do. an extra yeah. small. So I'm like, God, it's stupid for me not to focus on a woman's line. Let's let's be honest. They're the ones who really focused on what they wear. And and so my wife is designing that. She actually went to school for fashion. And so she's right now in the middle of redesigning the women's leggings, bike shorts, sports bra, and proper, you know, tee, incredibly comfortable t-shirt for women with some fleece as well. So that's going to be available in next probably three months. It's exciting. Next three months. So but how so do we how do we find it? Have a it's just online on aswecreate.com. Beautiful. Is 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 the store online and <laughs> I'm gonna go have a look tonight, honestly. And, yeah. uh, and I, I I was so rushed that I I wanted to ask the boys for your send me your, your sizing and I would love to send you some stuff. Oh, thanks, oh that'd be thanks, amazing. Mark. For, for, for everyone. Thank you. Um, but uh, well, I'll, yeah. I'll say this because I I love a plain tee. Like yeah, I just yeah. wear plain tees all the time. But I feel like I'm constantly buying them like over and over and over for like <laughs> the $6 spending, target ones. Well, no, no. I, well, I won't mention mention the brand, but it's a pretty well-known yeah. brand. It's actually a tennis brand. Like, Would or they was shrink? It? No, no I'm, I'm, it? I'm finding it. I'm always getting things on them. Like they're going in the wash and maybe I'm putting in the wrong things. Mm. I don't know. But – some of them shrink, but I think oh, they. What happens when the stitching comes out and you yeah, get that's, stuff? Yeah, that's quality. That's, okay, that's 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 some, that's the way. That's production. Okay, that's quality with the stitching. Because I feel like I'm always um, ripping off. Like de- depending on what cotton they're using, mm. the stitching. They're using 100% cotton for even the stitching. Like mm. you know, so that's just comes down to what I said: quality control. Yeah, you know, um, and I think that's that, that's a huge important part to it. Is is lasting? Like I said, I've made a sample that's you know because i was making samples a year before we launched we're two years now in this brand and they're four years old and and they still they feel amazing you know even softer they've got new side they haven't shrunk they haven't warped and it's it's important of of quality you know and and, but the funny that's funny how you say that because i had someone reach out on on the instagram like 70 dollar tees what a joke and I'm like, remember, I'm like, okay, don't reply, just breathe. You know? <laughs> yeah. you know? And I thought, this is a customer. I understand, like, let's understand where that person's coming from. Things are expensive, you yeah. know. And I'm like, and I remember replying as gentle as possible to this person. I'm like, okay, I, I said, I totally get where you're coming from. $70 is not cheap. Because um, that person said, I can get a, a, something from Kmart for 20 I said, absolutely, you can, and probably even cheaper. I go, so let's look at what you're buying. You're going to spend $20, $25 on that tee. I guarantee you within a year, you'd have to buy four or five of these T-shirts to last for the year, right? Or you spend $75 on a quality tee. It's got certified organic cotton, pre-shrunk, pre-washed and softened. That will last you three years. So... When I ever, like every time I post something at the bottom, I say buy better, buy less. Yeah. I don't want you to buy a hundred of my tees. No. Buy one. Yeah. Or buy, if you love it, buy the same one in a couple of different colors. It's going to last you years. Not only that, you know, every time you come home, I'm going to go to it because it's comfortable. Like I want you to buy less. Mm. Yes, I want to sell more. It's a business. I need to make money, right? I need to evolve. The brand needs to build. But the difference is if you buy right, you just need to buy once. I don't, it's like with anything else, you know, spend a little bit more, but you know, it's going to last, you know. So true. Makes total sense. It's interesting hearing you talk about that. I'm like, and again, we, we haven't really touched on it, but as viewers of tennis or, or watchers of tennis, when you, we see and hear about the glitz and the glamour of some players, like the, the top echelon and they, and you said they bring their entourage with them overseas, but what's it like for players that are, are on the lower end of the scale and they're really almost gambling to, to fly around the world and, and make certain rounds. Like, cause that's a big reality of tennis that yeah. we don't hear about. Yeah. I don't know if you were ever in a position, maybe when you were starting, I know, I mean, you sprung up very quickly as a teenager, but what's it like if you're under actual financial pressure to win matches, to qualify, to continue on? Man, you're, you're spot on. It is brutal. When these guys, if you're in a top hundred, 
And if you can get into a Grand Slam, let's just say you get into a Grand Slam. If you lost first round this year at the Australian Open, it was 90 grand. <laughs> 90. Can you believe that? <laughs> when you lost first round when I was playing, it was 7,900, 8,000. <laughs> so let's just say you get into all four Grand Slams, you mm. lose first round of yep. all four. It's almost 400 grand. Man. Yes, you take out the taxes and all that. That helps you big time. Mm. If you win one match, when it went to 170, yeah. one, I mean, 170, I think, geez, I lost in the final US Open. I, I don't know, man. I, I, I want to say be lucky to be over 200,000. I don't know. I can't remember what it was. Honestly, I can't yeah. remember. For being runners up. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Wow. Now, in the over, final. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that, was 19, that was 98, okay, quite a while ago. But you lose in the you lose in the final now. You know what is it? One point two? I don't know. One point three? I'm not sure. So you know, so things have changed. But if you're out of that top hundred where you can't get into the ATP and you're on the Challenger Tour, let's just say, yeah. and you're two hundred ish in the world, three hundred where you can't get into two fifty ATP events. If those guys win the events, they may be getting five k challenges, maybe three and a half, maybe bigger one. You know, hundred. Plus H means that if you win the tournament, you're getting 100 points to win, which is great. Mm -hmm. Plus H, plus hospitality. So they'll pay for your thing. And then I don't know what the, what the thing is, 7,500. But if you play for an airplane to get there, if you've got a coach mm -hmm. and you're paying for your hotel and his hotel, you're lucky to break even. Like yeah. you have to win the tournament and you might get one grand in the pocket too. That's yeah. the reality. So you need to that's get crazy. out of those things as soon as possible, you know, that's you can't be stuck on those in the challenger level. You need to get on the tour, and I was very lucky. Look, I lost in the final. It's the final of, of Wimbledon Juniors when I was seventeen. At, at the age of seventeen, after the semis, I signed a five year contract with Filler. Very lucky. If I did not sign that after I signed that five year contract with Filler, that was the last junior tournament I played. I traveled with my dad to all the biggest tournaments in the world, not playing challenges, qualifying, trying to play qualifying, just playing qualifying where he had to win two or three matches to get into the main draw. Yeah. Okay, and I was very lucky the fact that that next year, I I was five for 600 in the world. I lost in the final of a tournament when I was eight, just turned 18 in November. That, after Australian Open, that March, I played Scottsdale, lost in the final to Jim Courier, ranking went to 130. Then ended up losing the final to, semi-final to Rios in the clay court tournament, ran around 110. Then I played Japan indoors, which is a huge million dollar indoor event. I lost to... Chang in the final that next week, I lost to Rios in the final of Kuala Lumpur and I went to 32 in the world, I finished. Wow. But I mean, I had some big, yeah. big results and I was very lucky that I wasn't in the challenger level, but I didn't have to worry about that because I had that sponsor, mm. you know, so that's why, you know, I say, yeah. if I did not have that sponsor, there's no way I'll be able to travel with my dad to even play the challenger level, to be honest with you. That's just the reality. My family didn't have the money to pay to go overseas, thousands of dollars in plane tickets. And then because we lived in Australia, where are you going to base yourself? You have to be in a hotel. You got to pay for a hotel. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where are you going to go? So a lot, what's happening now, these challenges, if, and these guys are great players, on off season, they will be coaching at a club. Wow. Saving money. And they're like, okay, now I can go out and play some tournaments. That's, really? That's I, 100%. That, wow. And that's why you, you, you're slowly, thank goodness, you're hearing vocally with the ATP saying that they, they're trying to get more money in the challenger level to support these guys because I know how tough it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you need, that's just the reality. Unfortunately, that's just the reality of sports. That's, it's mm. just, that's real life. If you're not in that, people mm. only see what they see because they hear grand slams and all the money there and all the money. Yes, if you're in that certain level, and even the guys who are eight in the world, they might, most of these guys don't have sponsors. They'll get close for free. Don't think they're getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm. Even if you're top 10, I think they gave out bigger contracts when I played. Not bigger, but more guys had multi-million dollar contracts. Now, only a handful are getting over a million dollars a year. A handful. Yes, those top three guys, whatever it is, they might be getting 10, 15, 12 million dollars. I don't know what it is. But even the guys nine in the world, He's probably getting half a million dollars, maybe I don't know, maybe more, seven fifty, not millions. Mm. And the guy is thirty, forty in the world. I guarantee he's not getting more than two hundred k. I guarantee there's no. I guarantee it's crazy because like I look at like and you say like six hundred in the world tennis or globally. 
where I look at the, the 600th AFL player in the league. They don't have to, they at least could base themselves in the country. They don't have to pay probably all these expenses and they're probably getting paid a lot more right. versus 600 tennis player in the entire world. No, no, he's getting nothing. Yeah. Well, and that player might not even play. Yeah. You know, 100%. You know, whereas, did you know people, I mean, the tour, I don't know, was everyone on tour when you were playing friends? Did you know Challenger, were you friends with Challenger type players who were in that bracket? No. Okay. No. Um, like I said, I was very lucky. Yeah. I, you know, I worked hard for it. I mean, yeah, of course. I got the results, but I maybe played one or two Challengers when I was 16, 15, yeah. 16. Didn't play. It didn't play. You know, I played one actually when I was injured, making my comeback, and ended up winning it. Of course, it was like five. I didn't even pay for any. It was five grand. I, I played for the match play. I needed match yeah. play, and the great ended up getting some points. You know, mm. ended up being a hundred points when you you come back from injury. That helped. You know, that made a difference too. But it was just for me to get match play. Like, there's some players that all top hundred play challenges. It's because they just want to match play. There's nothing on, and they want some matches. You know, because mm. they they've not feeling good with their, with their game or they want extra matches and, and on a losing streak or come back from an injury. It's crazy because like I I think about oh – fuck, I just lost my train of thought. I completely thought that I was going to say, say – Boys, I can't work like this. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I completely forgot what I was going to say. Oh, no. <laughs> Boys, I can't work like this. Uh, i got a question about the, like, the entourage. I don't know if the entourage has changed over the years, but because of social media, people want to be around – you because of the the high life or not necessarily the high life but the profile you get so maybe I can latch on to hangers on as yeah, yeah hanger on was that <clears throat> was that a thing when you were playing did you cop uh, any of that there were always there was people around um, you know I lived in Florida in Miami back in the time but you know my priority growing up I knew from a very young age was family yeah you know who I surrounded who was real who I could you know who was loyal who I can count on who I loved who, who had my back I had their back. So it was my family and I had a very small circle of friends, very, very small circle, it fit in one hand. So I had those people, we protected each other, they protected me, you know, um, I was very lucky to have that. So you can, I, I knew who was around me for, for what reason and, and kept them at a distance and, and was very, was polite to them, but, but, you know, made sure I didn't allow them in my circle. You know what I mean? Arm's length. Yeah. 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 So now should we go to yeah. our golf box segment? You'll, you'll wake up tonight and go, that's what I fucking <laughs> wanted to say. Yeah. And then, you, know, know. you know what? It's absolutely killing me. It's I'm probably so... the best question of the day too, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe I'll DM it to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to read that? Yeah, perfect. Uh, What's in the golf box is brought to you by our good friends at Golf Box, Australia's greatest golf superstore. If you need it, they have it and it gets to you fast and free. Shop online at golfbox.com.au. D, do you want to explain the game? Mark, welcome to the golf box. As you can see, it's uh, a very humble box, but uh, inside it <laughs> contains a lot of treasures. Um, so inside there, there's probably about 10 questions or challenges. They're random, and uh, basically all you have to do is pull one out, read us a question, and just answer it or complete the challenge, and, and there'll be a little surprise for you uh, once you do. So I think it's time, Mark. What's no, in the golf box? I didn't expect to pull out anything in this day, but I'll pull it out for you. Let's see. What's the dumbest injury you've given yourself? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I'm reckon you might have it. Think about when you were a kid too. Surely you did some stuff playing. Well, I mean, this was painful and and, and uh, it stopped me from warming up. Oh, no, that wasn't the dumbest one. No. <laughs> no, that wasn't He's the thinking. dumbest one. No. My God, how can I forget this one? 98, I lost in the final of US Open. It was 99. I was, it was in New York. I was getting ready. And, and I, I've told you guys I love basketball. A lot of my warm-up is basketball. And there was a huge gymnasium, wharf, gym area, like in the city where they've got a huge indoor running track. There's an area for yoga and your weights and your cardio. And then they've got basketball courts, volleyball courts. And and I saw these guys, they were playing a pickup game. And I was waiting, I ended up playing a pickup game. <laughs> oh, no. And I love them. And I went in, I... I and I was on this guy and ended up scoring something and, and ended up getting the rebound <laughs> off another play. And then I went up for another rebound and that the guy shoved me and I came down and landed on oh, he tunneled someone. You. Yeah. Yes, it landed on somebody and rolled my ankle. I had to pull out of the US Open. <laughs> that bad where I had to pull out of the US Open. The year after as well. That was and I and I was coming but I had to, you know, I lost finals the year before. What did so you tell I, the media? I'm trying to I, I didn't tell I, um, so, I mean, I had to 
you know, just the agents had to say, I remember, oh, fuck, uh, I was <laughs> walking. I'm like, oh, you know where you kind of do I'm like, oh, my God, I think this is bad. You're not sure. Mm. And then like an hour later, it was, and the, the day later I woke up and it was swollen oh. and I couldn't walk. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I cannot play the US Open. This was like three days before. So I pulled out, you know, and I felt bad enough. I remember I felt bad enough and I flew back to Florida where I was living. And I remember watching TV and John McEnroe's commentating the match. And he's like, you know, so we didn't talk about it. And I, so my name came up. And how about this one? Mark Philippoussis <laughs> ends up pulling out of the Australian Open because of a, a twisted ankle. And look and listen how we did it. I was playing basketball. <laughs> I mean, what was this guy thinking? How could I let him just ripping me apart? I'm like, I'm already like sitting on the couch. I've got my like, foot up, you yeah. know, miserable. <laughs> you know, can't even try to get those points for yeah. have a run for it again. And he's ripping me. And he just made me feel even worse. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, that is unbelievable. So, what a um, great story. Well, you know what? One of the that one was of the pretty freaking stupid. One oh. of the challenges in there is actually impersonate a celebrity. So he's done two <laughs> he's in one. He's done two in one. Um, but because of that, Mark, here's a two hundred fifty dollar oh, voucher yeah. to our yeah, good friends at Golf Box. Fast and free. Do you like golf? Go. I do. I do. I used to play a fair bit of golf. Did you? But, um, and then as with two kids, man, I don't have time for five hours. But when I travel though, I'm, I'm playing. I used to play I used to play once a week and then would play uh, events and I'd try and play some charity events. I love playing. I love golf. Yeah. yeah well, just I love playing. You guys play? Not very well. We freaking well, should, well, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. No, we, we, we have a hit uh, and we, we're, we're trying to get better you. because of them. You know, good, we're, good. we're representing them. So. Well, actually, Mitch, um, Mitch, who you saw yesterday, Creek, he, he came on and he said um, his first question when we handed him his little prize, he said, does Golfbox do lessons? So <laughs> we're, we're, we're in that category All as well. Right. But actually, just quickly before we sign off, did you spend a long time in a wheelchair? In your, yeah, during, like, three months. So after my third surgery, I had, it was a it was a lateral meniscal tear, but also microfracture surgery. And a microfracture surgery is right here, right? You've my had bone on bone, so they had to pick a hole, not drill, but pick with a tool called a ewer, and literally just getting a pointy thing and a hammer and just hammering a hole inside oh. the bone. And then that bone, why uh, it was it was three months three months on the wheelchair and, and three months on crutches, and they said I'll never play tennis again professional. It was a two thousand one. And then that has to bleed out. So when you would it's non-weight bearing because you've got to give it an opportunity to bleed. And when it bleeds out, it hardens. And that's supposed to create like um, a cartilage like over the bone. And then I also I was taking synvisc injections, which is synthetic cartilage injections because I haven't got, I've got like 50% of cartilage in my knees. I don't have right. 100%. So there's a lot of wear and tear. And so, yeah, so it was, I was incredibly depressed and, and I remember being in the wheelchair and then my dad would organize things like get a Tai Chi master to come and do stuff in a chair for, for mentally because yeah, I was yeah. incredibly, not only I would, I love, you know, you lost your freedom, but just, I, I used to love riding motorbikes. I have, I was an adrenaline junkie and rode my motorbikes or go on the jet ski or snowboard or I was very active. I couldn't sit still. I was going that guy. So surf, I mean, surf then? No, I was wakeboarding, wakeboarding wake skating. Yeah. I was living in Miami Beach before I surfed. So mentally I was depressed you know, struggling sure. mentally big time. And so I started doing that. And then one morning he woke up, I woke up and he had sawn off the armrests of the wheelchair and we went on the court and we started training. You know, I started oh, yeah. forehands wow. to hit forehands to me. Backhands was hard, of course. It was, yeah. But that way, and then I used to have uh, close friends come over and we would play doubles and, and I would, so I'd just, I would try and get on the court and train while I was in the wheelchair and ended up, that was 2001. So I ended up having my best year, 2003. So... Incredible. You can always um, come back from anything. I love how he sawed them off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just I remember I came off. And I'm, you not know, buy and a new one. No, just, no, yeah. Oh, that's funny. Old school, baby. So. Yeah, old school, love it. Well, Mark, thank you so much, firstly, because uh, thank you for making the, the trip down to Melbourne today. We really, really appreciate your time. Um, it's honestly a massive honour for us both um, to have you, so we really appreciate it. Thank you for being so open, so humble, having a laugh with us, playing along. Um, we appreciate it, and um, thank Definitely you. Definitely, boys. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for your time. It's awesome to set up here.